I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Representative Deb Holland from New Mexico's 1st Congressional District. And she joins me to discuss Vice President Joe Biden's plan for the Native American community, including plans for economic development and expanding access to health care. We also discuss the crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women and what needs to happen to finally curb that crisis and to stop the epidemic of violence against Indigenous women and girls. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Representative Deb Holland. Well, Representative Holland, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an incredible week. We started the week off, of course, I think it was Tuesday with the presidential debate, the first one of of the, the election cycle, which I was, for one, really excited about, you know, but for lack of a better word, it, you know, it was kind of disastrous. And, you know, we ended the week with, you know, several people in the president's inner circle testing positive for COVID-19. And I guess the thing that that kept coming back to me, because this is happening in the wake of, you know, news about, I think it was something like 850,000 women having to leave the workplace. Like all of these things are kind of distracting us from this inequality that women are still facing, uh-huh. especially with Native women, because we're just ending, I think last week it was Native American Women's Equal Pay Day. Yes. So that's what we're not talking about. Yes. And there's so many important things that we should be talking about. Absolutely. So let's talk about them. I think when I look at the Biden plan and I look at what he has in store for Native women, especially in relation to equal pay, I don't think I've seen that before, that amount of focus. How would you grade his focus on that area specifically? Oh, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's an A, I think it's an A plus. The other day on Native Americans Women's Equal Pay Day, Jill Biden actually tweeted, you know, tweeted that out. And um, so we retweeted her tweet, specifically talking about Native Women's Equal Pay Day. Um, I- I'm super excited about everything that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will do when they get in office. And this is just one of them. Yeah, I think the number right now is something like, and when I read this figure, it was really hard to, to, to fathom, that something like Native women are paid 57 cents on every dollar to, mm-hmm. in comparison to a man, right? And that kind of makes me angry a bit. And I think if you do the math, it takes Native women 21 months, you know, almost two years to be paid equal what a man makes in a single year. Yeah. Um, so that's quite stark. Yes, it's it's very stark, and of course, it's you know women of color are the ones who are suffering most from that inequity, right? And and I mean, look, we 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 are single moms. We're taking care of family members. We, I mean, there's a lot that we're doing with so little, and so it's time to to start paying attention to those under. Communities, absolutely. So, in regards to the pandemic, we all know by now that women are going to be hit harder. Women of color are going to be hit harder. What is it in the Native community, Native American community, that is worsening the pandemic and the fallout from the pandemic, especially for women? Well, I mean, look, we what we saw as soon as the pandemic really started to take hold in our country is that it highlighted all the disparities that. Um, that take place in communities of color. That's why we have the highest rates. Um, in here in New Mexico, Native Americans make up close to 11% of the population. And at one time we were over 50% of the positive cases. So it's a combination of things. Uh, we don't have the infrastructure we need. There's a lot of homes right now in Indian country that, uh, that don't have running water, don't have electricity. There's a lot of homes, like up to you know 65% or something like that. It might even be more. Don't quote me on that. But um, broadband internet service, that type of infrastructure is keeping our students from learning. 
It's keeping our elderly folks from accessing telehealth services because, you know, because if they're in a rural community and live a really long way away from a hospital or a clinic, I mean, those are things that that those communities are unable to access. So so it's terrible. And, you know, we're we suffer from a lot of pollution, right? Unreclaimed mines and polluted water and and things, you know, that have happened in the past that have never been remedied. So those are all things that we have to work on remedying. Is there anything in relation to greater exposure and the type of work that you do or that they do in those communities? Well, I mean, we have frontline workers in every community, right? There's, right. Um, I mean, there's grocery stores in the, in some of our um, Indian communities. There are, um, you know, folks are, are working in clinics and hospitals and things like that. So uh, sure. And then, and then there's, um, people who have to go out of their native communities to work in the cities because those are the only jobs they have. Um, And uh, I mean, any number of frontline jobs that we've heard about, right? Folks in public transportation, people working in grocery stores, in healthcare facilities, you know, hospitals and clinics and so forth, dealing with this pandemic. So yes, um, I mean, we, and then you take all that back to your community. It's what has consistently happened since this uh, pandemic took hold uh, in, in all of those communities of color. And that's another reason why the rates are so high. Yeah. You know, I know that you fought, or at least I think you can confirm this or not, you fought to include tribes in the CARES Act for coronavirus relief, right? Um, What was included in that specifically? So um, we were able to get $8 billion for tribes across the country. There's 574 tribes across the country, so you can do the math, right? It's uh, not a lot, really, Uh, which is why in the HEROES Act, we we wanted to put, you know, we've always been crying for 20 billion. We wanted 20 billion initially and the White House um, came back with zero. And so we, that was a fight in and of itself to make sure that tribes were getting uh, set aside specifically to battle the, you know, this coronavirus issues in their, in their own communities. So, um, so we were able to get the 8 billion. Some of that was tied up in litigation um, because the the way they decided to allocate the funds, and it, I mean, it was kind of a mess. It, 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 it was plagued by a lot of issues. And so a lot of tribes, it took a long time for them to get the funding. And um, it put them behind where they where they really should have been in fighting this pandemic. So it's been a struggle. We want, you know, tribes to have what they need. We put 20 billion in the HEROES Act that, you know, Mitch McConnell didn't want to put that on the floor. We struggled to get uh, on the second, you know, version of the HEROES Act. We struggled to get funds in there. So it, it's it's always been a struggle. The Indian Health Service um, they have worked extremely hard to you know to really try and get a handle on this. It's difficult when they've been underfunded for decades, right? And I mean that's our that's the United States government has a trust responsibility to tribes. So um, I would really you know this is a lesson to us all that that the U.S. government really needs to live up to its trust responsibility, and we need to fund the Indian Health Service properly. They would have been able to step in and help uh, so many, you know, at a larger degree in so many communities if, if that were the case. Yeah, when I hear you talking about this, and I hear you say you had to fight for this, and you had to fight for that, I, all I can think about is the fact that, you know, won't it be nice when we won't have to fight with an administration 
for the needs of marginalized communities. Like that would feel really nice. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, this stems from, I mean, I think we should always have a president who has compassion. Of course. (laughs) I think we we should always elect a president who, who has compassion and who understands what it's like. You know, Joe Biden comes from a working family. He's, he, you know, tells a story about his dad losing his job. I mean, that is, he knows what it's like to struggle and, or his family does. And, and which is why he's worked so hard to help so many people. So, um, yes, there is a lot of fighting going on, a lot of struggling. You wish people would just agree that, yes, the people in our country deserve to, to have a government they can rely on in times of this public health crisis. And unfortunately, um, there's a lot of folks out there struggling uh, right now because this, the Senate Republicans have refused to act. Yeah. You know, one of the things that keeps coming up in conversations about Joe Biden, and I think you can see yard signs with us on it, is that it's a vote for decency, right? And, you know, even when we're talking about what's happening right now, what we're in the midst of, you know, the coronavirus and the COVID-19 cases that are happening around, you know, the president and his inner circle, you know, I, I, I do appreciate seeing that decency from him. And I think just the other day he had a campaign event where it was a drive-in, right? He did not put his supporters at risk to have a rally. And he had a drive-in rally. And I thought, you know, that feels good to see that, that he cares that other people are being infected. Absolutely. Yes. He wears a mask everywhere. Kamala Harris wears a mask. So, yes. Well, I do want to say that, you know, we can't talk about the economic disparities for Native women without talking about the crisis of violence, right? The physical violence, the sexual violence. You know, I think the number is like Native women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than the national average. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that connects with Biden's background, you know, in writing the Violence Against Women Act, Mm -hmm. right? What else needs to happen to expand that, to protect Native women even further, to curb the crisis? Absolutely. Well, I I am very grateful for then-Senator Biden, who in 1994 championed uh, this issue. Um, and we have the Violence Against Women Act reauthorization that is sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk right now. So that's, we could start there, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. That I wish Mitch McConnell cared enough about violence against women as Joe Biden does. And if the president cared as much about violence against women as Joe Biden does, that bill would have already been passed. Um, that bill actually had two provisions in there, amendments that I was able to pass. And one of those helped urban women to access victims' advocate funding in state courts, because this happens off reservation too, right? Native women in urban areas, uh, they deserve to be protected just as much as women in their own Native communities. So I think the Violence Against Women Act is a good first start. And uh, that needs to pass. And I know uh, when the Senate changes and the White House changes, that will immediately happen and we'll be in a much better place. Um, This past week, we were able to um, get two bills passed um, uh, across the finish line. Uh, I was at a signing ceremony with Speaker Pelosi, very proud of her and her commitment to Native women as well. Um, we got Savannah's Act and uh, the Not Invisible Act of 2019 uh, passed, uh, and, and they will be signed into law. So these are two bills. One, Savannah's Act, of course, it, it, um, it works to close the loop on data, data sharing. 
right? You can't have you can't work on this issue with so many different law enforcement agencies and not have them communicate with one another. Uh, that absolutely has to happen. Additionally, the DOJ would develop training specifically for missing and murdered Indigenous women. The Not Invisible Act of 2019 creates a commission of tribal leaders, federal law enforcement agencies, advocates, or families of victims to you know to come together and make recommendations on what it is that we need to do. Missing and murdered Indigenous women has been happening since the Europeans began to colonize this continent back in the late 1400s. It's been ongoing for centuries. This is a start, but to untangle that centuries-old uh, crisis that has gotten worse in our country, we absolutely will need to learn more, we'll need to fight more, we'll need to untangle that, and there will be legislation on into the future um, to remedy this. It's unbelievable to me that the Violence Against Women Act is just sitting there and, you know, unpassed. And I don't think we talk enough about how successful that was when it was first passed. I think there was a drop of about, I think, 60 percent in domestic violence. Right. So getting that back up and then, you know, the addition to the expansion that I think Biden wants to do. Um, one of the things that happened under the Biden and Obama administration or the Obama and Biden administration is that I think that they expanded tribal government's ability to investigate and prosecute non-Native people who assault Indigenous women. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, um, you know, Biden wants to expand that, right? Is that part of his plan? Well, sure. I mean, if you're a non-Indian and you commit a crime within a tribal jurisdiction, you should be held accountable, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, why? Why? I I just don't. I don't understand what the what the big issue is. Um, that's something that I think the Republicans, you know, don't want to see. Which I don't understand. I I thought they wanted to be tough on crime. Apparently, they don't. Um, uh, yeah. Right. I mean, the, these are. This is a as you mentioned, ten times the rate of of other communities. We have to do something about this and do it now. What do they say when they reject bills like this? Like, what explanation could you possibly give? Well, I mean, they did, they did. Some folks did raise that issue that, um, you know, the jurisdictional, you know, the jurisdictional issues in the bill were problematic for them. I think one of the senators uh, decided to write her own bill. And it, you know, took out that piece. It took out the teeth that that tribal courts or, you know, tribal prosecutors would have to protect their own women. If I recall, it was going to make uh, the U.S. government or the DOJ run audits on tribal courts every year, which seems really ridiculous because, you know, tribes are sovereign nations. I mean, if you say that, tribes could you know, pass laws that say we want to run an audit on the, you know, on the United States Department of Justice or whatever, right? Uh, I mean, it just seemed really ridiculous and cumbersome, and it didn't make any sense at all and really undermines, um, you know, tribal sovereignty. So sovereignty is, you know, it's not, it's something that we're bound to. As lawmakers, on as lawmakers, as a legislator, I have an obligation to to the tribes. It's a government to government relationship. I need to listen. I need to act. It's not that hard to understand. Yeah, that one's going to plague me for a while. I can't I can't fathom why, because it's not like their conservative base is asking for this not to happen. 
right? So I just can't wrap my brain around it why you just wouldn't want women, all women to be safe. And like you said, they're the party of law and order. And they're also, you know, courting women, right? And people of color, presumably, I guess on the surface, maybe it's performative. Obviously it's performative. But yeah, I, I can't make sense of that. But <laughs> I guess we can't read their minds. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but I do want to talk to you about healthcare. you know, in closing, because that's on everyone's mind. We're in a pandemic. And, you know, again, that's one of the things that that currently falls short for the Native American community. And I know that, you know, Biden, of course, wants to expand the Affordable Care Act. What does that mean for the Native community, Native community specifically? What expansion does he have in mind that would help close those gaps? Well, I'll tell you, the Affordable Care Act has helped Indian country tremendously. Um, and especially for the states that took the Medicaid expansion. So um, the Medicaid expansion should be, I mean, it looks like the people of Oklahoma voted for that this time around. If states with large tribal populations took the Medicaid expansion, uh, those folks could apply for Medicaid and and hopefully be served by that. Um, Not only that, but um, Indian Health Service uh, uh, and tribal clinics and so forth uh, if some if a tribal member is on Medicaid and they go to a tribal clinic or an IHS hospital or clinic, um, they can bill Medicaid for those services, and that means that's more um, those are more you know operational dollars going into um, the Indian Health Service to to expand services to people. Um, the Affordable Care Act was. Is, was so good. It's so it was so helpful to millions and millions of Americans. And it seems it seems you know it's it's just the pre existing conditions piece. Um, I mean it, it, that helps everybody, right? Whether you're native, whether you're not native. Um, we want to save the Affordable Care Act. I know the Republicans they've been you know, threatening to uh, take it away. They've been threatening to recant on their promises made to the American people. Um, I just think it's going to be a disaster if they do that. Millions of people will automatically be taken off uh, health care. My daughter was able to be on my health care while I was here in Congress until uh, she turned 26. And so um, it's helped a lot of people in our country, and I guess that's why they want to do away with it, because they don't want to help people. We're stumped for answers. Like, why would you just not want to help people with something as basic as, you know, your right to health care? Exactly, exactly. So, um, so we, I mean, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to still fight uh, to preserve the Affordable Care Act. I know they've been t- trying to take it apart piece by piece by piece, you know, filing lawsuits uh, against the, uh, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's astounding. I just don't understand what they're thinking because everybody should be able to go to a doctor when they're sick. I mean, that's just the bottom line. If everybody were able to go to a doctor when they're sick, we would have a healthier society. We'd have a healthier society that we're living in. Um, Fewer people would get sick because there'd be fewer people walking around sick. I mean, there's folks who say, I don't want to go to the doctor because I can't even afford the copay. That is just, that's just so wrong. Um, that is not how our country should be. We, we need to uh, lift people up. We need to make sure. And look, I think it's just more expensive when you are uh, fighting this. You know, every time we turn around, there's, there's you know, we're having to defend health care for, for low-income people and Native Americans and, 
and everyone else. I think in the end, um, I mean, I hope that uh, that the Affordable Care Act will will stay there until um, you know something else uh, better is in its place, and and that's what we'll keep fighting for, absolutely. And I know Joe Biden, um, he knows what it's like, right? We've seen the stories of his son who died from cancer, his wife who who was killed in a car accident and his sons needed medical care. He was sworn into the Senate in the hospital next to his son's uh, hospital bed. I mean, he knows how important it is to have uh, health care. And look, the president right now, he's at, at uh, he is at Walter Reed Hospital uh, getting care for COVID-19. He has the best, best health care in the world. He is be, being taken care of. He probably has his own private doctor. He's got nurses, you know, uh, doing whatever it is that he needs done. Um, that shouldn't just be reserved for the president of the United States. You shouldn't have to be president of the United States to access good health care. Everybody deserves it. Our veterans deserve it. And and so we we just need to make that happen. We And during a public health crisis, even more so, Right. I, uh, I mean, it's a public health crisis. We should deal with it uh, as a society. And, you know, it's not I get really tired of it. It's sort of like, well, you're on your own. Right. You're just on your own. And there's no there's nobody there to put their arms around you and, you know, help you through something. You're just you got to figure things out on your own. And I know what that's like because I, I was there. I was on my own for a long time. It's not easy. You know, there are too many Americans who are living that right now, right? You know, what you've experienced, you know, people are people are struggling a lot. And I think the pandemic has really pushed marginalized communities to the brink. So, you know, it, it is really important. And none of this can be addressed when you have someone in the White House who lacks empathy, right? So that's one of the comforting things about, you know, reading through these plans, Joe Biden's plans, specifically, you know, the economic development, right, as it relates to my community, as it relates to Native communities and, you know, all marginalized communities. I mean, I think Joe Biden understands that uh, when... When all communities are doing well, that it that we're all doing well, right? When everyone's doing well, then everybody's doing well. And um, Indian country specifically, they a lot of tribes live in rural communities. So a lot of times they don't have transportation. They don't have public transportation. A lot of times they're, they just have to start their own businesses. They're entrepreneurs. I mean, you go to Indian country, you're going to see more entrepreneurs than you've ever seen because... That's what they have. They have themselves to rely on and they know they need to make a living for their families. So um, Joe Biden's plan would invest in economic development for tribal communities by building more public housing, schools, roads, increasing access to clean drinking water and broadband Internet service. Um, imagine if if you had a massive infrastructure uh, you know, undertaking in, in Native communities across the country, how many people would be put to work by those things, right? Right. So uh, hiring hiring local uh, labor, uh, making sure that workers uh, are getting those, the people who need them are getting those jobs. So um, so I, I, just, I just really feel like um, infrastructure is one of the keys to ensuring that we're moving this forward and absolutely 
uh, Joe Biden is there. He he understands uh, why that is so important. Well, um, first we have to get he and Kamala Harris over the finish line. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris over the finish line. Thank you so much for joining me, Representative Holland. And, you know, thank you for your representation. You're welcome. You have a wonderful afternoon.